You're listening to the Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. to the beauty brains i'm your host cosmetic chemist perry romanowski and with me as always my mansplaining partner <laughs> randy Schuler. so uh, randy this is show 156 and today we've got some science news stories and we're going to answer some questions we do that on occasion right uh, we're answering a question about uh <laughs> aloe lotion whether it's good for the skin or not a lot of people want to know about that they do. You know, aloe is a very popular product. I can't wait till we talk about that one. And then we're going to talk about uh, nail oil and whether it's a good product. Now, I should mention that uh, coming up uh, is the big International Federation of the Society of Cosmetic Chemists meeting out in Orlando. The IFSCC. Yes, we, cosmetic, we SCC members, Society of Cosmetic Chemists members, are members of a worldwide organization. And... Once every 16 years, apparently, because the last time, well, no, it's 12 years. The last time was 12 it's years. It's like the but, cicadas. <laughs> yes. There's a big conference, and it's a three-day affair. I'm heading down to Orlando, and I'm just going to fill my head with all things cosmetic science. When you uh, told Mrs. Romanowski that you're going to Orlando for an affair, how did she respond? <laughs> it's a scientific affair. Oh, what do you okay. mean? Hi. Uh, actually, she was going to go with, but uh, we're going on vacation right after that, so she didn't want to do the two trips. I, I understand, and now our audience knows way more than they, <laughs> they need to. Uh, yeah, speaking of that, why don't we get into our beauty science news? Very good. I'll take the first story. This is rather timely, uh, because if you're listening to the show in real time, Halloween is only a couple of days away. So happy Halloween, Perry. Oh, thanks, Randy. I love Halloween and all the candy. Yeah. Uh, well, not only do you get candy, but this is also the time of year that we get fear-mongering stories about how dangerous <laughs> Halloween makeup is. So, Has the Campaign for ca- Safe Cosmetics done another PR? No, this one, this one I'm, I'm, I'm preemptively talking about this. They haven't gotten on it yet. But if you are looking for just the right glow-in-the-dark makeup to go with your scary clown costume, the FDA has some advice for you. So... You can achieve uh, glow-in-the-dark makeup two ways. The first is to use fluorescent colors. Now, these are the ones that look really cool under black light. And they're sure, ba- sure. You know, basically reflective of that wavelength. Now, what you need to know, though, are there are only eight approved fluorescent colors that you can use in cosmetics. None of these, by the way, are allowed for uh, use in the area of the eye. So this is kind of our public safety announcement on which colors to look for in your glow-in-the-dark Halloween makeup. Uh, I'll put these all in the show notes, of course, but just in case you're having trouble falling asleep, I will list them for the audience now. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. Well, there's only eight, so this should be painless. But there's uh, So look for D&C Orange number 5, number 10, number 11, or D&C Red number 21, 22, 27, 28. Or yellow number seven. So if you're buying glow-in-the-dark Halloween makeup and it doesn't have one of those seven colors, don't use it. It may not be safe. It's certainly not approved for that application. Now, those are all the fluorescent colors. There is one 
true glow-in-the-dark color you can use. So now I'm talking about complete darkness, and it glows a beautiful greenish-yellow like color, right? Like, phospholu like Phospholuminescent. Exactly. And there is only one colorant approved for that, and that is zinc sulfide. Now, even that is not approved for everyday use and also not approved for use around your eyes. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Now you can be... Uh, safe this Halloween with your glow-in-the-dark makeup. So I, I I can't paint scary neon eyeliner. Not safely, you cannot. No, no. sir. All right. Well, I won't be doing that this year. All right. Because I'll be in Orlando at the IFSCC meeting. Having an affair. <laughs> I'm not having an affair. All right, Randy. Uh, but speaking of uh, international stories. Hmm. Here's one that I saw, this article in the Daily Mail, which claimed to reveal how big beauty brands fool you into buying their products. Okay. And I thought, hey, they should have consulted the beauty brands on this story. That's kind of what we it's, do, yeah. Yeah. But instead, they went with a consumer group called Witch, with a question mark. And they gave pretty good advice, although not surprising advice. And I'm going to go through the advice in a moment. But there were a couple of things that I wanted to take issue with with this article. Mm -hmm. So first, the title of the article, it called out how big beauty brands use marketing tricks to fool consumers into buying products. You know... You shouldn't be fooled by the article. All beauty brands use marketing tricks, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, yeah, big brands versus small brands, right? Right. right. They, they sort of couch this as like, oh, the big guys are fooling right. you. The implication that the little guys are somehow more pure. But, right. you know, little beauty brands, they're not as pure. And, in fact, I think they're more likely to outright lie to you than like a big beauty <laughs> brand. Right. Well, yeah, I, I, I think the word of advice is all brands can use marketing in such a way that may trick you into spending more on a product than you really ought to. So just regardless of the brand, be careful of what the right. claims are. Right. right. All right. And then the other thing that bugged me was this article focuses on the marketing of the beauty industry. But every industry uses psychological tricks to get you to spend more money on products than you really need to. Right. Sure. I mean, I've got an Apple iPhone right now. <laughs> I mean, if I was just getting a product I needed, I, I could have spent a lot less money, right? Sure. All right. So there is one reliable way to handle any information you get from companies who are selling products. So just be skeptical. Hmm. You know, companies are in the business of making sales, and they will all present a reality that encourages you to buy their product, right? Fair enough. It's not... Not real. Okay, so let's go through some of the... There's, there's five of these tricks that they say companies use to get you to buy products. <laughs> and at various times, we've probably covered all of these on the show. So first, there is the science washing technique. Do they, and, do they use the term science washing? No, they don't. Okay. They, I, I shortened it to that. Right. But, <laughs> uh, but this is where they make a product seem like it was developed by people in white lab coats. Yeah. Although our products, like, we did wear lab Indeed. coats. Right? Yes, we did. <laughs> And then they use uh, tech-sounding names like hydrotine or proxylane <laughs> or stem cells or right. anything else that sounds science. Sure. Right? See, what, see what I did there? I did. <laughs> I like the hydrotine reference, but go ahead. <laughs> well, don't be fooled. These products are they're almost never special, right, because of that science. All right. Next, uh, they say that beauty companies trick you by using celebrities to push the products <laughs> Yeah, no kidding, right? I mean, so does every product, but, you know, I guess um, the difference with beauty products is that there's an implied 
claim that if you're using a beauty product that a star is using, you're going to look like the star, maybe? I, I suppose in some cases, okay. I mean, I don't think people really believe that, like on a conscious level, but maybe subconsciously they do, yeah. right? All right, the next trick is packaging. Companies use pictures and packaging to compel you to buy their products. You know, no kidding. <laughs> as, as opposed to just giving you the product in port in your hands? I mean, yeah, there's going to be some packaging involved. Well, I think the point was that there's, a, you know, the elegance of the packaging is not indicative of the quality of oh, the product Oh, I see. Inside, okay, yeah, right? yeah, I got it. Right. Trick four is uh, this waiting list. Now, this is something that we never covered, but some brands try to make the product seem more special by limiting, making limited quantities. And then you have to go on to a waiting list to get the product and that drives up demand. Interesting. So, yeah. You know, this happens in other industries too. I remember I was at, uh, I worked at a toy store, which was one of my favorite jobs at Christmas hmm. time. <laughs> Loved being a cash cashier. But anyway, uh, there were just certain toys, which were highly popular and there were they, we always ran out right. I, I just wondered if it was the the, the manufacturer was doing that on yeah purpose. the scarcity yeah sure exactly all right finally trick number five companies participate in greenwashing so wow. whenever you see something claimed to be natural it may be perfectly fine to use but it's not natural <laughs> until we grow like a shampoo bush or a skin lotion tree cosmetics are not natural and the bottom line is that you know, be skeptical of any advertising that you read about products or even any editorial. If you read a blog or right. a beauty magazine, uh, you know, the, the stuff that people communicate about beauty products are not necessarily uh, true anyway. <laughs> anyway. And uh, what was the publication you mentioned that, uh, where this article that, appeared? That, that was the Daily Mail out there in the UK. Uh, no, you said there was a magazine they referenced. Uh, no, they, it was a consumer group called Witch. Oh, that's a consumer group. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah. good, nice way to tie that back into Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very clever. All right, Perry. Hey, let's move on now and uh, cover some of our cosmetic questions. Oh, uh, sure, sure. All right, here's the first one. It's an audio question, and it comes to us from Gemma. Hi, Randy and Perry. This is Gemma, and my question is about body lotion, specifically body lotion with aloe as the featured ingredient. My favorite aloe lotion is Vaseline Intensive Care Aloe Soothe. I love it because it really soothes my legs after shaving. It's very lightweight, and it absorbs quickly. It's very inexpensive, but I've seen a few aloe lotions at dollar stores, for example, one called Perfect Purity, and I'm curious if, based on the ingredients, you think they would perform as well. Vaseline aloe is my holy grail lotion. Can a dollar lotion be just as good? Thanks to Gemma for taking the time to record her question. We can answer this pretty conclusively just based on reviewing the ingredients, and we'll cover that first. But then we want to take the opportunity to talk more about aloe vera itself and discuss why it is or isn't so good for your skin. <laughs> so let's break down the difference between Vaseline and Perfect Purity. Yeah, she said this was a, uh, a dollar store brand. Uh, boy, I, I gotta tell you, I, I am automatically skeptical of those dollar store. <laughs> if you looked at some of those things, they're 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 either like blatant ripoffs of other brands, or you can just tell they're shoddily put together. But anyway, not not aren't they often overstocked too? Like, well, but that's a different story. If it's a legitimate brand, you mean like a legitimate brand, and they're just selling it cheaper? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. But anyway, I mean, yeah, but I mean those those products that you find in dollar stores. 
a lot of times even the legitimate brands are be like expired product. Yeah, I, well, I have seen I have seen expired products, yeah. but anyway, not not to bash dollar stores, but um, anyway, let's look at the examples that Gemma asked about. So, the Vaseline product contains four key moisturizers. So let's take a look at each one of those in uh, order of descending concentration. Now, first, there's glycerin. Glycerin is a humectant. That means it's going to attract and bind water to skin. That's one of two basic ways that a moisturizer works. Yeah, and the other way a moisturizer works is to occlude the skin, which means it, it seals the moisture in by preventing uh, evaporation of the water coming out of your body. Yep. And so that's how the second ingredient, mineral oil, basically works. Right. The third moisturizing ingredient is dimethicone. Now, that's a silicone. It not only helps seal in moisture, but it also protects the skin from detergents and any other harsh ingredients. That's why it's approved by the FDA as a skin protectant. And the fourth ingredient is petrolatum, which is one of the most, if not the most effective, occlusive moisturizing ingredients that there is. Right. So, you know, Vaseline contains this, you know, pretty potent cocktail of simple but effective moisturizing agents. Now let's, you know, let's look at all. We're going to look at the complete list of the effective moisturizers in the perfect, uh, perfect purity product. All right, are you ready? All right. All right. All right, here we go. All right. Number one, mineral oil. There is no number two. That's, that's, <laughs> the rest of the formula is just emulsifiers and control agents. Uh, Vaseline is better because... Uh, it's a mixture of different occlusive agents blended with a good humectant, which is going to moisturize more effectively than just a high level of mineral oil. Yeah, even if you said, well, couldn't they just be using more mineral oil to make up for the lack of other ingredients? But typically, moisturizers work better when they're a blended system, particularly when one of the four ingredients is a humectant. You're not going to get that from mineral oil. So Exactly. Um, yeah, in addition, just the, the basic backbone of the Vaseline uh, formula looks better. It's got a more balanced emulsion system. I would expect it would be more stable and probably more aesthetically pleasing as well. Um, now, for what it's worth, since this is a question about aloe, the amount of aloe in either one of these products is pretty much irrelevant. <laughs> right, and that brings us to the second part of this discussion. What is aloe, and is it or isn't it good for skin? Yeah, so let, let's talk about what is aloe vera. It's, uh, you probably know, but it's harvested from the aloe vera plant. I guess that's obvious. And you, uh, you basically cut open the leaves and collect what oozes out. And that thick, clear ooze is known as a mucilage. Uh, the term mucilage comes from the word mucus, or at least it comes from the same Latin root, which is very exciting to me because that's the second technical term in the last couple of weeks we've talked about that come from the word mucus. Do you remember the other one? I think it was pituitous. Pituitous, right, exactly. It also means mucusy, so yeah. there you go. You know, it's funny, you never see these aloe uh, products advertised as mucilage. It, uh, <laughs> it's too misleading. Exactly. Well, uh, so after you, you, you get that mucilage, the, the gel is sterilized through pasteurization, and then it's filtered. And it can be sold that way, or they can spray dry it and turn it into a powder and then sell it that way. Right. Now, most of the, um, the, the, the concentration of the mucilage is water. It's about 99.5% water. But that other 0.5% uh, is a combination of mucopolysaccharides, Choline and choline salicylate. Yeah, the polysaccharides include pectins, some celluloses, and sugars like mannose derivatives. 
It also contains amino acids, lipids, and sterols like lupiol. Yeah. And, you know, we listed all those out for you guys because that, that's going to be important when we get to the functionality of aloe. But it is interesting to consider that the specifications for, you know, completely natural aloe allows it to contain up to one part per million arsenic, two, part per, two parts per million lead, and a hundredth of a part per million of mercury. So even in something straight out of nature, you're still going to have lead, for example. Is it okay to have lead in my aloe? Wasn't that <laughs> one of our books? <laughs> That was, the, that was the title that didn't make it. <laughs> well, according to Dr. Zoe Dreelius, uh, she's a, a, a dermatologist. Is that Dr. Is... Dr. Dre? Who are you quoting? <laughs> Dr. Dreelius. Oh. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Uh, anyway, according to her, who she's frequently quoted on matters of cosmetic science, aloe vera is a good treatment for burns. Now, mucopolysaccharides are film formers that create a thin, protective covering over the burn as the aloe dries. This film helps shield exposed nerve endings. Then choline salicylate, which is chemically similar to the active ingredient in muscle rub creams, uh, it's an anti-inflammatory that soothes the burned skin. Hey, even before I, I got into the cosmetic industry, I, growing up, I always remember hearing aloe was good for burns, especially like sunburn. So I remember. I heard, I heard that too. Yeah. So that's. Um, I, I mean, that's an extremely popular conception with with some basis, in fact, apparently. Um, so not not only does Dr. Drelos, you know, comment on how the choline salicylate works, but I found some uh, a number of research studies that were summarized by the World Health Organization, uh, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes because it's got all the references in it. But but who the World Health Organization also agrees it works for burns. And I'll, I'll quote their report. They say that. Aloe vera gel has been effectively used in the treatment of first and second degree thermal burns and radiation burns. Both thermal and radiation burns healed faster with less necrosis when treated with preparations containing aloe vera gel. I looked into a couple of the studies, at least one of them compared aloe vera gel to a petroleum jelly uh, coated gauze, which would be pretty occlusive that you would think would help in the wound healing. But the aloe vera was was better on a statistical basis, so so it, it does do something uh, on burns. Uh, it appears that's surprising. But wait, <laughs> there is more. Uh, aloe also has anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, they're both in vitro and in vivo studies showing aloe can reduce acute inflammation, at least uh, in rats. The mechanism appears to be based on enzyme active and an enzyme active and through the inhibition of uh, prostaglandin F2. The sterol components of aloe, uh, specifically uh, lupiol, uh, they're thought to be responsible for this action. So, I mean, I thought this sounded great to hear, you know, to find some science on a natural product that shows that it really works. I, I was pretty impressed. But there is a catch. Aloe is only effective under very specific conditions. So now let's you know talk a little bit about what to look for in an aloe product. Sure. A, a lot of aloe lotions contain aloe powder, but Dr. Drelos uh, pointed out that the reconstituted powder aloe, it doesn't contain the same 0.5% of goodies that make aloe work. So that means it won't have the same activity. Yeah, so if you're buying that, you know, you, you talked about you could spray the spray dry the stuff down and sell it as a powder, but the process of that apparently destroys some of the, the stuff in there that makes it work. So right. um, beware of that if you're looking for an aloe product. 
Um, and we'll, we'll talk, we should talk about the names of the different types of aloes so people know what to look for in the ingredient list. Sure, um, sure. So, yeah, so that was what Dr. Drelo said. The research summarized by the World Health Organization confirms this as well. And this, I think, really tells the story. Here's the quote. At present, no commercial preparation has been proven to be stable because many of the active ingredients in the gel appear to deteriorate on storage. Therefore, the use of fresh gel is recommended. Ah, right. And in addition, the, the World Health Organization says that concentrations of between 10% and 70% of the fresh gel are required to get the benefits. So, you know, that's a lot. That, yeah, that is a lot. Um, I mean, that's, you, you're not going to get that amount in a typical lotion that you're finding in the store. And, no. and, and it's not going to be fresh. Right, it's not, it's not going to be the fresh. I mean, a lot of times it's going to be the powdered constituents. So I think you need to be really careful when you're looking for an aloe vera lotion. Yeah, and if you're still determined to use aloe, so here's a couple of things that you should look for. First, make sure you're getting the right kind of aloe. Well, you know, actually, the, the first step is to make sure you're getting aloe at all. <laughs> what, one of the products that Jenna asked about in the email she sent me along with her audio question was she, she'd asked about um, a product called Dermacil Aloe Fresh. But when you look at the yeah. ingredient list, it, it doesn't contain any aloe. I mean, may, maybe that was a typo on, the, on their ingredient list, but come on. Like, you, it, it, there's no aloe in their aloe lotion. Was it at least green and it had a little <laughs> green aloe plant on it? Maybe it was aloe-scented. Maybe that's what they meant. <laughs> right. Well, back to the right kind. Uh, to make sure you're not getting the reconstituted version, look for juice in the ingredient name. Uh, allowed names uh, include aloe barbadensis leaf juice or just aloe vera juice. If it says aloe or aloe extract, you're not getting the right stuff. Yeah, I actually found this a little bit confusing. So there's... You know, the, um, the INCI Dictionary, and right, INCI stands for? The International Nomenclature of Cosmetic Ingredients. That's where you'll find a listing of all the ingredients that are in cosmetics. Right, but it's a little bit tricky because there are multiple editions. I think they're up to, what, 11th or something now? I don't even know. Uh, it's uh, the 15th 15th edition, now? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I took a nap, I guess, for the last couple of editions. But, um, but you'll still see names used from the second edition, some names referenced from the ninth edition, so it's a little unclear exactly... You know, companies may be using a, a proper dictionary name, but it may be from the wrong edition, which just complicates right. things. But our point is, if you, you know, to, to get your best chance of getting aloe or, or functional aloe, uh, make sure you're looking for something that has juice in the word. All right? Exactly. All right. So the second thing to look for is high concentrations. Now, you're not going to find 10 to 70% in a typical lotion, but there are products on the market that do use aloe at this level. And one that we found was... Jason Natural Cosmetics Aloe Vera Super Gel. Now, it, it's still not fresh. I mean, uh, right? Who long knows how long this stuff has been processed and sitting on the shelf in a bottle? But at least right. it's going to give you the best chance of, you know, getting any kind of aloe benefits because it is using, you know, it's the first ingredient in the formula. So there's certainly more in there than just a dusting. Um, uh, maybe. Well, I, mean, if it's, the, well, I, know, is, I know where you're going to go, right? They could be. All right, go ahead. Go. Now, one of the tricks that a company will do is they'll make, they'll take uh, water, they'll splash in some aloe juice, and they say, well, that's still juice. So right. the whole thing is juice. And so, right. so then when it's actually water and not the juice, so it's sort of a trick. Right. And we can't, you know, guard against a, pro a company, you know, pretty much completely lying about what's in there. 
but at least this gives you the best chance of getting something that's got a high level of aloe. Um, look for juice as the, as the first ingredient. Now, even if you get a product like this, keep in mind that this isn't going to replace a conventional moisturizer because it doesn't contain the same types of ingredients we talked about at the top of the show. Right. I mean, the, the bottom line here is that aloe is an effective natural ingredient, but really only when you, it's used fresh and used at high concentration. And most commercial products are not going to provide the full benefits you get from the plant itself, right? Right. So, so Gemma, I guess there's point number one, you know, buy yourself an aloe plant if you really, really want the benefits of aloe. Right. And if you want to know which of those moisturizers is best, stick with your Vaseline versus the crappy dollar store version. Exactly. All right. Hey, by the way, uh, Gemma has her own blog, and I thought I would uh, give her a shout out. It's except I can't pronounce it. It's v Visage Macalage, I think, is the blog name. I'm going to put a link in the show notes so our, our listeners can go check it out for themselves. But thank you, Gemma. We appreciate it. And if you have a beauty blog and you want to ask a question, feel free to ask the question and then tell us the name of your beauty <laughs> blog. <laughs> so. Well, that's on me. I just don't speak. I guess that's French. I don't know what that is. Huh. Anyway, that's good. Well, that was a good question. All right, indeed it was. All right, Perry, we have another question. You want to take this one? Sure. This one comes to us from Sheila. Sheila asks, first, thank you for recommending the age fix. I read the book and have thoroughly enjoyed it. My question is, are the use of serums really necessary? Oh, yeah, Sheila, I'm glad you liked The Age Fix. Remember, that was the book by a uh, friend of the Beauty Brains, Dr. Tony Ewan. You know, he runs the Celebrity yeah. Cosmetic Surgery website, which is very entertaining. You should go check it out. Uh, yeah. We talked about his, his book a, a few months ago. Uh, exactly. But anyway, back to the question. Yeah, let's, let's talk about serums. Uh, unfortunately, there isn't a simple answer because the serum is used diff the, the term serum is used differently by different companies. So all it really tells you is the, about the consistency of the product. It's not a liquid or a cream or a lotion. You know, I think in most cases, the term just, it's just come to mean a product with a heavy consistency, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, typically clear, I guess. It's got usually it'll have like a dropper yeah. or some other dispense controlled dispensing. It's, yeah, it's almost. Like I would describe it as mucus-like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little mucilage. <laughs> um, yeah, it, this seems to be a, another uh, kind of a misconception that people get in their heads that they confuse the the form of the product with its function. So right. you know whether or not a product provides a benefit, it, it, it's typically not dependent on the product form, but rather the active ingredients it contains. So you know, for example, you could ask, you know, is a serum with retinol important to use? Yeah, that could be worth the money because retinol is a functional ingredient. Now, if you're already using a cream or a lotion with retinol, the serum isn't going to provide you with any additional benefit just because it's a serum. It's just right, an, right. it's just another way to deliver that same ingredient. You know, now. A serum with chamomile extract, for example, isn't going to do much of anything because chamomile doesn't have any proven benefits. So it's, it's not about whether a serum is good or not, but it's about whether the serum is, develop, you know, is delivering an ingredient that's helpful. Yeah, so maybe the question shouldn't be, you know, are serums necessary, but rather something like, which active ingredients are necessary to provide the benefit I'm looking for? Now, once you've decided that... Once you've decided that, then you can decide which product form is the best for you. Right, because in most cases, you can get those same active ingredients delivered in a multiple of ways, right? Maybe in a, perhaps in a liquid toner, certainly in a cream or lotion, a serum, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. I mean, 
the term serum is often used by cosmetic marketers to sell a smaller package of a product and get you to pay more money. Right. It feel, it, no, it, does, it feels a little more precious because of that, that serum delivery system. But in reality, again, it's about the goodies, not about the product form. Exactly. All right, Perry, we got time for one more quick question. And this one comes to us from Sonia in our forum. Don't forget, you know, we have a forum. You don't go there very often, but... <laughs> On occasion, I'll stop by. <laughs> I, I should do more of that. <laughs> Uh, glad that I could guilt you into that. But okay, so Sonia <laughs> says, a lot of nail art bloggers swear by this nail oil pen. But I can't help wonder if the packaging, uh, the, if packaging the nail oil in, in this pen is safe. And she says that because the pen has a brush on one end and the oil comes out through the brush, which then you can sweep across your cuticles and nails. She says, I see how this is convenient, but I worry that the brush would pick up germs from my hands and then the germs would migrate back into the reservoir of oil and contaminate the product. Is this kind of packaging safe for nail oil? Well, it's an interesting question, but I don't think there's much to worry about because this kind of product is not very prone to microbial contamination, right? right. If you look at the ingredients, you'll see that there's no water in the product, which means Bacteria, mold, they are not, they're going to have a tough time to grow. Yeah, if you look at the ingredients, it's, it's, there's, it's a jojoba wax ester, which is a, kind of a, a, it's a liquid oil, similar to a liquid oil. It's got olive oil, grapeseed oil, a fragrance oil. So there's not much in there, like you said, there's not much in there that's going to grow. The second thing is the pen packaging will prevent direct exposure to moisture, so the product's likely to stay uncontaminated. Now, you, know, you, you mentioned that you could sort of wick up something through the brush into the reservoir. Um, and that's certainly possible. It's less likely. Um, now, if it's an anhydrous product or an oil-based product that's exposed to moisture in the environment, you know, think of a, a bath oil in, in an open mouth container. That's a more concern, right? Because you can get significant moisture condensation or whatever. You can get a layer of moisture on the top of the product. That's enough for right. bacteria or fungi to get a foothold and grow. But I think the combination of the not having any water and being in this uh, sealed pen packaging, even with the brush, I don't think it's there's, that there's much danger here. Right. And I would say that tea tree oil has some antimicrobial. That's, yeah, it's a good point. I didn't, didn't read the complete, complete ingredient list, but that may give you a little bit of protection, at least from some bacteria. Exactly. All right. Looks like we're out of questions. We are. Do we? Oh, we're not out of, t <laughs> we're not out of time. So there's enough time to talk about a book that oh, I just finished. Oh, excellent. What's that? Actually, the book was called. Uh, Eternity Soup uh, oh. by, by, by Greg Christer, but it's a, uh, it's a travel through the wonderful world of anti-aging treatments. Oh. They talk about human growth hormone and calorie restriction and the growing of new organs. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's pretty fascinating, but what I found most interesting about it was that the science in, in the field of anti-aging... Mm -hmm. Uh, suffers from the same sort of problems that the science in cosmetic science uh, suffer from. How so? And, and namely that the, the people who are selling the products can make a ton of money without having to have the, sci the, mm. the settled science, right? Okay. And so a lot of times what you have are some of these, uh, even calorie restriction, the people that follow calorie restriction to live longer, well, there's never been any proof that this is going to work for humans, right? right? <laughs> And yet that the people who run these clinics and things, they take all kinds of money and they're convinced that it works and they don't even need the science to prove right. it. And so, and it's the same thing with uh, human growth hormones, for example. Okay. And it's, it's just fascinating that 
um, in that field of anti-aging, which is not surprising because a lot of cosmetics are anti-aging, right. but the marketers are way ahead of the scientists. You might so, call it science washing. <laughs> <laughs> science washing. Well, it's a fascinating book. Uh, it's called Eternity Soup, and you can get that through audible.com and you can help the beauty brains at the same time and so if you want to do that you can just go to audibletrial.com slash beauty brains and sign up for a free month and get a free copy of any audiobook you want um, you know this could be eternity soup or our own book the beauty isle insider and if you if you don't like the service after a month, you can cancel it and then still keep your free audiobook. So go to audibletrial.com slash beautybrains and sign up today. I, that's actually one of the more interesting books you re, uh, have reviewed on the show. I'm actually, oh. my interest has yeah. been piqued. Sure, go check that out. All right, and to pique your interest, everybody, uh, come back next week when we're going to answer some more of your beauty questions. And until then, remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>